Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here once again, driving this boat forward as we plow through Movie May and our Battlefield Cinema series. Uh, we've already done our, uh, we've already, we just recently did our Battlefield breakdown where we went through all of the scenes and, uh, you know, kind of pointed out like what was great about them, what was not so great about them, you know, the rules for a good scene. And then obviously prior to that, we did the, the whole opening kind of segment where we, or the opening episode where we, um, just kind of laid out the the reasons why we like war movies and some of the more interesting versions of war movies and how a war movie doesn't necessarily have to be about battle. Um, but in this case, we are. Uh, I am kind of getting back to the kind of the roots of the war movie. We are going to be talking about a movie with some battle in it and lots of people getting their heads cut off, amongst other things. Um, and we are going to talk about the movie from 2010, directed by Neil Marshall, called Centurion. Um, about the fabled, uh, the fabled lost Roman legion, lost, uh, the lost, excuse me, the lost ninth Roman legion. Uh, that is a, at least a partially true story. Obviously the, um, uh, the events of, of, in this movie are just sort of speculative fiction, but, uh, uh, it is based at least in part on a real Roman legion and a kind and a real sort of a historical mystery, although we will get into more details there. As we get on with the episode, uh, so just a little lightning round question, real quickly, as this concerns the this question obviously is related to the movie, so it concerns uh, people being stuck where they're not supposed to be. So, in which part of the Roman of the ancient Roman Empire would you least like to be stranded? Considering how vast the Roman Empire was, uh, you know, if you don't like heat, maybe uh, being somewhere in North Africa or the Middle East probably wouldn't be to your liking. Certainly, if uh, you're adverse to the cold, then uh, being with these gentlemen. Up in uh, ancient Britannia would uh, also be uh, uh, not uh, not the most ideal situation. So, where in the ancient Roman Re Empire would you least like to be stranded? All right, I'll give you the quick synopsis for or one of the quick synopsis for um, for this movie. Uh, A.D. one seventeen, the Roman Empire stretches from Egypt to Spain and far e as east as far as the Black Sea. But in Northern Britain, the relentless onslaught of conquest has ground it to a halt in the face of guerrilla tactics by an elusive enemy, the savage and terrifying Picts. Uh, I'm going to be saying that word a lot, P-I-C-T-S. Quintus, Quintus Dias, um, sole survivor of... Quintus Dias, sole survivor of a Pictish raid in the Roman fort frontier, marches north with General Titus Flavius Verlus, uh, legendary Ninth Legion, under orders to wipe the Picts from the face of the earth and destroy their leader, Gorlicon. But when the Legion is ambushed on unfamiliar ground and Verilus is taken captive, Quintus faces a desperate struggle to keep his small platoon alive behind enemy lines, enduring the harsh terrain and evading their, their remorseless picked pursuers led by revenge-hungry picked warrior Etain. The band of soldiers race to rescue their general and reach the safety of the Roman frontier. Um, that's your, your general synopsis, one of the shorter ones. Some of these synopsis go like, uh, they're just like, they're like six paragraphs long. That, that, that was plenty right there. Um, so like I said, this is based off of at least a, a real Roman legion, the Ninth Roman Legion of, of, uh, based out of Spain. Um, but the, the events surrounding their quote-unquote disappearance are very heavily disputed. And it's one of those things that really doesn't, this story really doesn't come into sort of um, pop culture consciousness, I guess, until the 1950s as a book that's written that kind of um, asserts asserts one particular theory that is sort of at least mostly I don't want to say generally accepted 
but at least people agree upon some part of that theory. And again, we'll, we'll get to that here in a little bit. So the Ninth Roman Legion, who were they? Like I said, the, this was a Roman Legion based out of Spain. If you if you were to find their banner, uh, if you look up their banner online somewhere, you'll see it's like Legion 9 uh, Hispania is the, is the, is like the, on their, on their banner with like a lion or something. So uh, this legion was originally based out of Spain and records indicate that it, it, they, they were formed somewhere around 90 BCE. Um, and then uh, they eventually about like, that's actually more than 50 years later is when they uh, are moved from that portion of Europe uh, into uh, Britannia. And this would have been around 43 AD is when the, um, uh, most records indicate that the Ninth Legion would have moved their location from uh, would have moved their location from Spain, and well, I mean there were other they were elsewhere besides Spain. Obviously, they fought uh, in various places in the, in the Roman Empire, but they they would have moved their base out of Spain and would have moved north to Britain around 43 AD. Uh, there was already like a Roman that's the Roman invasion had already been underway um, that far north at this point in time, um, and so they lasted until about the last records have them at 120 AD. Uh, during the reign of Emperor Hadrian, and then that's when they disappear from Roman records. Um, the Romans were pretty good at keeping records on their military, especially the detachments like the Ninth Legion, who would have been uh, a very, a very well respected and elite force. Um, you know, these weren't; uh, th- these were this was a very large um, portion of their army, very well trained professional soldiers. So they would have been, um, you know. The, the empire would have made sure that they knew as much, you know, knew where they were and, you know, controlled their movements as much as possible. So the fact that they do they do more or less disappear from records around 120 AD does build uh, this sort of historical mystery. Uh, like that I said, it doesn't really pop into the culture, pop culture consciousness until the 1950s. Um, so some of the theories about them. Um, most of the earliest theories generally revolve around the Legion being crushed by the bands of British tribes. Um, hence this movie that we're going to talk about um it's again it's it's very it's it's i think that the 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 book the book's called the eagle of the ninth um i think that the book does sort of steer uh public opinion in, in a very particular direction and the the idea that the the ninth legion was uh uh systematically destroyed by um be they the picks be they uh, someone else uh, you know, other British tribes is kind of it's definitely it definitely sounds better than some of the other theories about like why they disappeared from about why they disappeared from the records, uh, which so here's here I'll, I'll get to that right now. There is some evidence of their existence after 120 A.D. in the Netherlands um, that they would have I can't remember the name of the city where there is they they found like stone tablets and markings and things um, clearly marked with their um, with their Legion 9, Hispania, um, Insignia with the Lion. Um, and those they, they know that those things existed. For, they're from a couple decades after 120 AD. Um, so it's very, very possible that um, the reason why they aren't... Uh, oh, and, uh, sorry, let me... There's also evidence of their uh, presence in Judea um, a couple decades after 120 AD, uh, which, you know, the modern, mil- the modern Middle East. Um, so it's very possible that, you know, you find... You find the you know their marks in both the Netherlands and the Middle East. It's very very possible that the reason why they're not on record in Britannia anymore is because they moved. Very very simply that they just moved out of out of that region around 120 AD 
and were somewhere else and eventually were more than likely met their defeat decades later, um, possibly in Judea. Um, but, uh, you know, no one again, no, no one knows 100 percent for sure, because there isn't like there isn't a very great um, deal of records for them uh, post 120 A.D. Um, there's also the possibility that they were only briefly in Britain at all, if they were even in Britain at all. Um, just because there's like mention of the uh, of the Ninth Legion going to that region doesn't mean that they ever actually got there or or that it was like their full um, their full legion. It could have been a detachment of a certain amount of men or whatever. Um, but it's it's they did but prior to this they did spend as I said they were based out of Spain and but they were what would become Spain obviously. Um, but they did spend most of the early part of the second century in Germania, uh, fighting uh, fighting those various tribes uh, and, and exerting uh, Roman rule there. So it's very possible that either they were just briefly in Britannia or they were just never there at all. Um, the most likely theory and the one that does have that does have um, it, 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 the one that does sort of serve the the pop culture better. Right, it, it is that is the one put forth in the 1954 book, uh, The Eagle of the Ninth, um, that they were wiped out by the Britons, and there actually is quite a bit of compelling evidence that they were fighting up there at some point in time. There is an early historian and writer, I want to say his name is Fronto, who recounts very specifically uh, Emperor Hadrian reinforcing significant losses in York or what would become York. I can't remember the name of the the that region then, but it would become York, and that's where the if the Ninth Legion was in Britannia, that's exactly where they would have been stationed. So the fact that there were potentially thousands of losses in York, um, it at least gives it it does give us some significant evidence that the Ninth was was there, was fighting um, the Britons, and very potentially lost, if not completely wiped out, lost a very significant portion of their force. Uh, and back then, like a legion would have been, I want to say it's like 5,500 total uh, soldiers. So, you know, if thousands of thousands of soldiers are killed from one single legion, it, you know, it effectively destroys that legion. And it, and it wasn't, these armies weren't like how we think of the army today necessarily, where, you know, you, we could just easily, you know, you join up in, in Ohio and then like you end up in a detachment in Florida or Japan or obviously, you know, maybe over the Middle East somewhere. Uh, these armies would have been; these people would have been born and raised in Spain, lived there, um, and like it, it, essentially, it is the legions where they where they're based out of. The, that's where the people grew up and lived, right? It, it was much it was much harder to move people around um, two thousand years ago than it is now. So these, so the way that these armies kind of worked when you when you say someone's based out of Spain, you know they appear around i think i said they appear around 90 bc bce um that means like the first the first soldiers that would become part of this roman detachment started in in, in 90 bce and then like their kids were then the next like wave of these soldiers and their kids after that um i know it's not exactly it's not exactly how it works but do you think of it more as like homegrown versus um you know the empire constricting uh conscripting someone from uh, Syria or conscript, conscripting someone from Greece and then bringing them into into uh, a legion elsewhere. More or less, these legions were popped up and used homegrown talent, if you will. So I, I mentioned, so I, real quickly here, I'll just wrap this part up, that it, it's, 
the the at least the way I kind of read into this and in my understanding of all this, like what really happened to the Ninth Roman Legion, it probably was some kind of combination of them taking heavy losses in Britannia and then possibly the the remnants being moved out. And by the time that they moved out to elsewhere, be it be it to the Netherlands, be it to Judea, um, or Germania, or maybe back who knows, even maybe even back to Spain, that by the time that they are able to recoup the the legion just disbands because they don't have enough people again like if you you kill all the people that from you kill all the people in this legion they don't just reinforce them with more people they would have to essentially the the spanish that spanish legion would essentially have to regrow more would have to birth people and then regrow them in in spain to sort of reinforce that legion so it's very possible that their losses were just enough to sort of slowly cause it to disband and you know maybe some of the soldiers were absorbed into other legions and that's why we don't have anything on record for them so it's probably some kind of combination of that of their losses and movement is the reason why they just sort of disappear suddenly from uh, from the roman records now let's talk a little bit about the Picts. That's P-I-C-T-S, the Picts. Who were they? And I'm not talking, And as like I said, I'm going to say this word quite a bit. So um, They were early Northern Britons. Um, that's kind of the, the portrayal in this movie is a little bit exaggerated, um, simply because it's not like they were self-identified as the Picts. Um, this is a, a name given to them uh, by, by Romans. Uh, the, the name is a Latin name. Uh, it's derived from latin it means painted or tattooed and you'll see in this movie a lot of the not a lot of all the warriors all the picked warriors had paint and tattoos all over them so uh it just makes sense um but they like i said they're early northern britons they were just they would have been unnamed well, they had had their own name whatever i just don't know we just don't um for the sake of this movie it's not like they're they're being very specific with location necessarily Otherwise, then you would have to name a very specific band of these particular Britons. Um, the Picts is more of a collective name for various tribesmen that would have been painting themselves. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were all the same tribe, right? Um, it just, you know, think about it this way. It, 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 it's different cultures, different um, different ancient British culture, cultures with um, very similar sort of um, customs and styles and things like that. And that's sort of how the Romans would have grouped them together, right? You know, there were all these people paint their faces, but they, you know, they're, they're probably different tribes with different customs and different cultures. But collectively, to the Romans, they were just called the Picts. Um, so were they as violent and savage as their portrayal on, on film? And of course not. Um, for, they were basically just farmers and ranchers. In fact, they were like really, really skilled farmers and ranchers. Um, there were like, they know of... Uh, early and this would have been more like this would have been a little bit far, a little bit later um, than the the timeline of this movie but they do have records um, about how there were picked farmers who were who would go to competitions to show off the size of their livestock you know like who had the biggest uh, cow or I guess back then it would have been uh, a coup a healing coup um, like who had the biggest healing coup who had the fattest pig sounds a lot like it sounds a lot like these ultra agricultural fairs uh, today in in Texas and throughout like the Midwest, right? So they were that's kind of who they were. Like they were just these like they're just these farmers who were really good at raising giant cows and giant pigs. Uh, there's some very very wealthy picks, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, it, you know their their society wasn't shaped like Roman society. You know they didn't have like giant stone houses or anything, 
but there were picks who owned significant portions of land who had a lot of livestock. Um, so they were so they weren't just like vicious marauders, basically. Then um, they weren't like very primitive, possibly comparative to what what you think of like as like this classic Roman period. But certainly they weren't like I mean they weren't like cavemen. Um, is kind of is kind of how they they're portrayed uh, in this movie a little bit. So they certainly weren't like that at all. Um, they they weren't vicious marauders just like laying around for the Romans, waiting to kill them. However, there were aggressive picked pirates um, that hunted up and down the coasts uh, of uh, at this point in time that were kind of they were it, it, you know calling maybe calling them pirates isn't one hundred percent accurate. Because they were also traders, uh, not traitors, traders, they traded goods. Um, but, you know, one on one day, the, they're trading goods with the Romans, not extensively, um, or, you know, they're, or they're trading goods with other um, other British tribes. And then the next day, they're robbing those British tribes and, you know, robbing the Romans. So it, it, they were kind of both pirate and um, pirate and trader all, all in one. But they, they were, they definitely did exist. And it was something that they were uh, very cognizant that the Romans were very cognizant of, and the the other um, the other tribesmen uh, in the region were also very cognizant of as well. So real quickly here, um, I also mentioned Emperor Hadrian. Uh, Emperor Hadrian was the Roman emperor from 117 to 138 AD, fairly fairly short reign. Um, now his whole thing with Britain, um, there was by the time he takes, by the time he is. Um, Name the successor and and becomes the Roman Empire. Uh, there was already a rebellion underway in Britain at this point in time, and it it truly was not going well. Um, they it it was a slog, and it was a different. It was a very you know a clash of of um, of battle styles. Um, you know the guerrilla warfare versus the more um, strict regimented army, and the, you you know on on foreign turf. Uh, where have we where have we seen and heard of that before, right? Um, I think that's the story of every empire going to some far away some far away country to try to try to take over. Um, but the rebellion was already underway and it was not going well. It, it gets costly. Um, so Hadrian really didn't want to commit any more troops and certainly any more money and resources to the effort. So even before he had visited Britain, he doesn't visit Britain until about 120 i believe or it's, maybe it's even like 122 um so even before he had ever visited uh, uh britain to to kind of take in and and see what they what um his forces were dealing with he had already ordered the construction of defensive walls uh something that we call hadrian's wall now and you can still go see it uh in, in britain today um it, he had these uh it took it, it took longer than his um than his 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 reign in life uh, for these walls to be completed, but they, it's many, many walls. Uh, the path goes, I can't remember how long it stretches. I mean, it, it stretches a long, long way. Um, like I said, you can still see it today. If you, if you go to, um, if you go to Northern England, uh, slash Southern Scotland, um, you can still see it today. Um, now it's not, it's not like, again, this is one of the things we don't know. We don't know that it's 100% true that the wall was built in response, completely in response to, the attacks from the Britons and and the war effort. Um, there's also the the very the very sort of boring but very probable um, idea that the wall was also built to help control transportation, migration, and commerce. Um, certainly, if the Romans could make money off of it, they would as well. Um, you know, making people pay. You know, 
be they be they friendly people, you know, people friendly to the empire, making people pay to cross uh, certain boundaries makes sense. Uh, obviously, it would have naturally helped deter. Um, it would naturally help deter um, any attacks, but also if people, you know, if the Britons did want to cross um, and they were being peaceful, they wanted to trade or whatever, well, it, you can tax them. You can toll them, um, you know, at, at, at these, um, you know, at various posts on these walls. So um, it's probably, again, probably one of those things, it's a combination therein of defense and sort of um, the way, sort of um, an attempt to sort of drive certain commerce in the region as well. Um, but the wall was effective. Uh, it, it definitely worked at keeping, um, at keeping the, the Romans and the Britons apart. Uh, you could look at it as a first step, um, in the dividing, in dividing the Roman British culture from the Scottish culture. Now it's not, mind you, this is not a border wall. It's, it's, that's not how this is functioning. Um, it's Hadrian's wall does not constitute the border between scotland and, and england um it's just it's however it is in it's it's in the region right um and there's another wall actually that was built later 20 30 years later the antonini wall and again not a border wall either but this these two walls again are the are the first steps in really creating two distinct cultures um and it, again, they're not like the deciding factor. There's much more that goes into this as well. But it really is, you know, like I said, these walls were actually very effective at keeping, deterring some attacks and making migration um, to and from, uh, to and from what would have been Roman controlled Britain and, um, you know, the, the British tribal controlled Britain, Britannia. It made that sort of very difficult. And when you make migration travel more difficult, that's how you begin to have very separate and defined cultures. It's very hard for cultures to kind of become um, to to merge when they can't mingle together, right? Like if you if you are just separate from a culture for a, for an extended period of time, you begin to branch farther and farther and farther away. And as um, as south of these walls, um, in more in what I, again I'll just call it Roman Roman Britain, um, you have the more distinct British culture that we think of. Um, you know, as we, that we think of, uh, uh, I shouldn't say that we think of today, cause obviously that's not 100% correct either. Um, but for the classic ancient British culture that that's forming, um, at this point in time, south of these walls. Um, and then the Scottish identity and the Scottish culture is forming. It's not Scotland yet, obviously, um, that is forming north of these walls. So like, these are just first steps into creating that separation, and creating two distinct cultures. So the walls were effective. That That is for certain. All right, so let's get into it. The full review of Centurion. Once again, 2010, directed by Neil Marshall. Um, I will state right off the rip, I 100% thought this was a different movie. Um, because there is, there is a movie um, released in 2011 that is about this exact thing. Kind of. Um, I 100% I thought I was buying... Or actually, I didn't buy this. I 100% thought I was. Uh, this was the Eagle, um, which is the Eagle takes place, I think, like 25 years after the Ninth Legion disappears, um, and you know the main character is looking for evidence. You know, trying to figure out what happened. Basically, it's uh, played by Ch- the main character in that movie is played by Channing Tatum, and this that movie is much more. At least my quick reading of the movie is much more 
um, akin to and takes much more directly from the the book from 1954, um, The Eagle of the Ninth, hence the title The Eagle. Um, that would have been their battle standard, which is like um, uh, not their banner, which I had talked about earlier, but like um, if you'll, you'll see in Centurion and actually a lot of um, movies that involve uh, the Roman legions, you'll see them carrying essentially almost like a big, it's like a big staff that has like um, like almost like statues on it, like gold statues or whatever. In this case, it would have been bronze. Um, but it would have been some kind of precious metal. And it would have been a bronze eagle was their gold stand, was their battle standard. That was like their battle logo, essentially. Um, but you could, since it does take place years after, you kind of look at the eagle as like an unofficial sequel uh, that came out uh, the year after. Um, I legitimately thought that that's what the movie I was getting. I, I just... I. I had it in my mind that that's what it was about, and then I realized I'm like, oh no no, this is this is the other one. Um, so um, I, I will, having said that, I probably will end up watching the Eagle now to see uh, to do a little compare and contrast. I'm not going to do an episode on it or anything like that, but I just personally want to like compare and contrast these two movies to see what the main differences are. See which one, quite frankly, is better. I have a feeling I know which one will be better, but we will get to that. So this is. Um, general. My very general thoughts of this movie, I I enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't it wasn't like a, a great. It wasn't one of those movies that I'm like rushing out to tell people like, man, we you missed Centurion. You should have seen it years ago when it came out. Blah blah blah. But it does have it does have enough stuff in here that is. Uh, I think you know just to flash back to the battle breakdown episode it has enough stuff battle wise that keeps you intrigued there's enough good uh deaths to keep you intrigued there's some great great um there's some great great um scenery and you know the way they shoot it is very well done it's a very it's a very um real it, it is in fact a real environment um this is shot on location in northern scotland um so it looks great uh, there's just there's a lot of stuff to like, um, so I, I think on the whole, I like this movie. But I will say, if I kind of had to rate it, I'm not going to give it a, a a grade necessarily. But this is one of those kind of movies like if it's you're doing something around the house on the weekend and you kind of want some background noise and you want want to kind of eyeball something that's a little bit different, this is the, that kind of movie. Um, it's, it, it, how it's not playing on loop on like TBS or TNT right now, uh, on the weekends, I have no idea, but it just feels like that kind of movie. You sit down, you can watch a, a battle sequence, you can watch a fight, you can watch a chase sequence, whatever, and then kind of get up and go do your own thing for a little bit, come back and you're really not going to miss a lot. It's that kind of movie. Um, enough to like, to keep you intrigued, but not enough to like, not enough to make you sit down and actually like watch the whole thing unless you really want to. So getting into stuff that I like, I really enjoy this cast. Um, top to bottom, it's very solidly cast. Um, this is uh, Michael Fassbender is uh, Quintus, Quintus Dias. Quintus Dias. I really got He's not Dias um, like he's from Spain. Dias, uh, like the Roman. Um, like the Roman name. Uh, Michael Fassbender is our main character here. Dominic West uh, is General Titus Flavius Virilius. Um, Olga Karolenko is our... Um, our picked warrior Etain, Noel Clark, our um, one of our Roman legionaries that survives the the onslaught, uh, Macros, Liam Cunningham uh, plays uh, Ubriculus, which we'll get to his name in a second. Uh, David Morrissey, the governor, he's back um, playing Bothos. 
Riz Ahmed playing Tarek, uh, JJ Feld playing, I think it's Feld, uh, playing Thax, uh, Demetrius Leonidas playing Leonidas. Not that Leonidas, just a guy named Leonidas. Uh, Imogen Poots playing uh, Ariane, and Ulrich Thompson is our picked tribal leader, Gorlikon. Um, so I, I, top to bottom, I generally like this cast. It does feel like they're all put in the right places. Um, a couple of complaints in terms of the usage of the characters, but not really particularly the casting, necessarily. Uh, Michael Fassbender's good because he's Michael Fassbender. Dominic West is good at playing this sort of um, kind of, um, I guess, uh, gregarious, um, kind of loud warrior who is... Um, He's a general, but he's definitely more down to earth with his men than uh, you know than most of the most of the generals. They would have been at that you know they would have been more they would have been at least like half politician, um, and he is just simply not. Um, so he's good. Um, I Liam Cunningham. I can watch him basically in anything. David Morrissey is very 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 solid, turning in just a good performance here. Um, Riz Ahmed. Wish I had a little bit more with him, but uh, he's totally. He's Riz Ahmed. He's a very good actor. Um, but this would have been one of his earlier um, earlier movies. Um, J.J. Feld is very great as Thax, who's kind of a um, a very self-serving character. And J.J. Feld is just one of those actors who looks like he's very self-serving, so it just fits pretty well. Uh, and then Ulrich Thompson, uh, when does he not play a villain? Um, so it just kind of works out pretty well here. So the casting is all very, very solid. Uh, I definitely like it. Um and uh, well, I'll get to I'll get to a thought here, a thought about the cast here again in a second. I also really like how we kind of kick off this movie. There's, um, I guess there's there's kind of two starts to this movie, which is a little odd. Um, we get two separate picked ambushes. Uh, one literally starts the movie where um, uh, where the picks attack York. They attack um, where Quintus uh, Dias is. The lead, the leader of like an encampment. Uh, the movie's called Centurion because that's what Quintus Dias is. He's a centurion, which means he would have been in charge. He was the leader of a detachment of a hundred men. Centurion, cent, right there is, is right there in the word. Um, so we attack him, and he gets captured by the Picts, and then later he gets um, later he gets rescued, and uh, by the by the Ninth Legion, and then they get attacked by the Picts again. Um, so like the movie kind of has two starts oddly enough to it but anyway the the picked ambush that kind of befalls the entire ninth legion not just uh uh dais um i I thoroughly enjoyed it um we get them riding into the mists of caledonia which is scotland and literally as they kind of you know begin pushing farther and farther into uh into caledonia it the the mist grows thick and like you can just kind of you know you the foreboding way they shoot it they're kind of in this, they're unintentionally in a kill box. Um, you know, they're going down a pathway that has like, that has some like steep slopes on the side. So like they are at the, at the low ground and completely exposed. So like they're literally marching. We, I mean, you know, we know what's going to happen, but they're literally marching into their deaths. But I, I do like the way it starts. The foreboding mist, it's all pretty great. Then we get like, you know, we can hear the, the, and catch glimpses of the picks in the, in the trees and the in the in the distance, you know, moving around. Uh, so the Romans get into a defensive formation. It's pretty cool. Like you see all of the soldiers, uh, you know, shields up, spears out, like ready to ready to rock. Um, 
and when we just when we think that they're going to get um you know we're going to get like some picked charge instead these giant i don't know i guess they're probably a combination of uh mud mud and hay um you know straw and other grasses more than likely but these giant rolling flame balls um they're probably a solid three four feet across each um you know soaked in oil or whatever and dozens of them are just like rolled downhill at them uh and like these flame balls just bash into the roman lines set guys on fire uh they break up the roman defenses and then the picks attack with like an all-out assault it's great it's like a really it's a really fun especially the visuals uh when we there's like a there's like a far shot of the um of the whole formation with the with these like i don't know these straw balls you know coated in oil burning up rolling towards them it's a really cool shot and it's a great it's a great way to kick off um to great, great way to kick off this movie great way to show like how the the romans were surprised and you know completely completely had their shit handed to them great really really enjoyed it um so great way to start off this movie um and like i said before this it all looks really nice. Um, this is all shot on location. There's no green screen. We are we are getting we are getting a lot of stuff up in the mountains of Scotland in you know some of those beautiful territory you've ever seen on these gorgeous snowy mountains. Everything just looks really really great. I don't I do feel like they could have maximized it a little bit more uh, in terms of the look of the film, but like I I I'm telling you that and I. People that have that don't really watch these old watch older movies. I mean, not that this movie's that old, but watch like older epic movies from like the '60s and '70s that were filmed on location in places. Be they like in in you know, be they like in the deserts of North Africa or something for you know some Egyptian epic or whatever, um, or you know, in this case, filmed on location in these like really gorgeous mountains of Scotland in the in the Highlands of Scotland. Um, the real physical location just gives a sense of scale that a green screen in a studio can never do. It just never, ever works. And you, you get the sense of scale. You get just the sense of, of really being there that the, the you know, that green screen just cannot duplicate. So on location filming, just, it always looks so much better. Um, and in this case, it does look, it does help the look of this movie quite a bit. It looks really great. And like I said, there's several solid kills, um, you know, we get the opening battle sequence with the, you know, people getting burned up by these flame balls and then like the, the picked attack. There's a lot of hacking and slashing, uh, body parts coming off, heads getting chopped off. There's some good hand to hand combat and people getting killed. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of decapitation. That, that's what happens quite a bit in this movie. A lot of decapitation. Um, but there's a lot of solid several kills. Uh, so there's, like I said, there's plenty of, there's plenty to like in terms of the action of this movie, in terms of the cast. Um, and, oh, and I did like, um, I almost forgot there, I wanted to circle back to this. I did like that the, we have we have this very diverse cast, and it, it's not one of those, it's not something that's, you know, Neil Marshall didn't go woke uh, back in 2010. It's actually one of those really clever things that you don't really need to, um, that, I, I mean, for me, you don't need to point this out necessarily but they do have a scene where the survivors are all uh, huddled in a cave talking about you know you know because they don't really know each other a few of them know each other but not really you know in a in a detachment that big you know 5,500 people um you're bound to not know someone that well so they're so the survivors are all kind of sitting there talking and and we get um 
you know, Macros, uh, Noel Clark's character, Macros, is talking about he's from, he was from, uh, I, he says he's Greek, but he, he makes mention that he's from a particular part of Greece, which is North Africa, that he would have been from uh, Algeria or Libya or that region of North Africa today. Um, uh, Riz Ahmed's character, Tarak, um, I can't remember his full name, but he kind of mentions that he's from this area that I believe would be Syria now. Um, uh, Leonidas talks about how he is uh, he is a he's a Greek scout, Greek through and through. Um, you know, was was recruited or whatever, um, but is from Greece, and uh, you know, obviously his name is Leonidas. Um, it's one of those. It's one of those things. Oh, and uh, and, and Liam Cunningham, or excuse me, both of us, David Morrissey, makes mention about how he was like a an orphan that was picked up off the streets and joined the uh, and joined the. I guess kind of probably was more than likely conscripted into the, into the Roman legions. But basically the whole point being that like you get this conversation, it's like, Oh yeah, that's how big the Roman empire was that there would have been people from, there would have been people from a lot of places that would have been making up certain portions of the army. Um, So like if you had, if you had a Roman legion that was based out of Germania, you would have had probably more people that would have been from like, you know, modern day France or Poland or Czechoslovakia. Um, the, you know, this particular legion based out of Spain would have obviously had more people from, excuse me, from that region, from, from North Africa, from the Middle East. So it is, it is just a nice nod to the fact that like this, the, the Rome, Rome controlled a significantly large portion of the world, uh, for a very, very long time. And the characters just kind of, you know, are, are like the, the. The sort of um, the sort of uh, confirmation of just how big this empire is. Also, in this cave conversation about like where they're from, I love this. Um, Liam Cunningham plays a character called Brick, and it's a nickname that he gave himself because his name is uh, Ubriculus um, or Ubriculius, I believe is how you pronounce it. Which is, I get. I, there's like a joke there, and I I just didn't get it. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't. Maybe I like I I don't think I, I heard the whole joke, but like everyone kind of laughs about. Um, how how bold his mother was to name him that, and I guess I guess Ubriculius means big balls or luxurious balls. Um, so Liam Cunningham's character is literally um, Mister Big Balls or Mister Nice Balls. So there you go. Um, good, nice little laugh, nice little moment there. Actually, that was pretty funny. Um, so yeah, th- that's everything that I like about this movie, um, and. They did a pretty, and they do, uh, you know, in general, they do an okay job of with the costuming and everything else. I think that's one of those places that, um, if this movie was in the hands of someone else, of of like a, if this movie was just in the hands of someone else who was a little bit more concerned with those historical details, I think the uniforms would have been a little bit sharper. Um, I think the the picks without being some huge fucking expert on these people. I'm guessing that it was a more of a caricature of what someone would have been like, um, what what a tribesman from this region would have been like, other than you know, of the the general idea of what they would have been, excuse me, what they would have been like, and not like some kind of specific. Um, they're not drawing from some kind of specific, uh, um, you know, detail or historical document or whatever, because they do just kind of the picks do feel a little bit generic. But uh, we'll we'll get into some of that here in a second. All right, so let's talk about the stuff that I didn't like about this particular movie. Um, <clears throat> and this is this is the stuff that, like, 
it was a little bit too much to overcome in terms of like thinking about this as like a good movie, something that I would like openly recommend to people. Um, some of this is small, but some of this is bigger. So I'll start with one of the small things. Um, and that's, there's like a, there's a, there's a voiceover from uh, Quintus Dias that I just don't think it was necessary. One, it makes the movie feel a little bit too serious for what's kind of, not that this movie isn't trying to be dramatic, but it's a, it's a Neil Marshall movie. And I'm saying that there's like this sort of, um, there's sort always sort of this like kind of broy undertone to a lot of his movies. Um, you know, like the, there's a lot of testosterone and, and macho shit happening in his movies and especially his action movies. And it just sort of, the voiceover just makes it feel a little bit too serious when it should have been leaning more into the action kind of broiness uh, of everything. Um, and also the, the voiceover, it's not like this takes, so it's, again, this is Quintus's voiceover talking about past events, but it's almost, but this doesn't really happen in the past for the timeline of the voice. Like, it's almost like he's giving voiceover of current events that we're seeing, which is a little bit weird or events that had just like literally had just happened. Um, but just in terms of the way this movie like unfolds and where it ends, um, which we'll get to in a second, but it doesn't feel like he's giving this voiceover years down the road or something. It feels like he's giving it as it happens, which I think is a little bit strange um, and just un- and just generally unnecessary. Um, so I think that's like one thing that I just was like, mm, don't need this. I don't think this, it's we're not getting information that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So we didn't need it. Um, there is here's something a little bit more serious that I did not like at all. There is a lot of CGI blood. Um, not every kill has like a huge blood spurt or whatever, you know, there's some dudes that get like shanked with arrows from a distance or whatever. Um, you know, we're not seeing like big sprays of blood, but when we do get, especially in the opening scene, um, when, uh, camp gets, uh, annihilated, um, there's a lot of the CGI blood sprays everywhere. And I, God, do I fucking hate CGI blood? It just doesn't look good. I guess that's how you save some money, I suppose. Um, but like considering the the considering the, the fact that they went to the lengths to make sure that they're filming in a real location, no green screen, um, to make sure that they were um, you know getting a lot of, as much of the the way they shoot the action is generally pretty good. Um, you know it's it, we're not doing too many. There's a couple there's a couple of moments where we have some quick cuts to hide stuff, I, I guess. But for the most part, you get to see a lot of it, um, and everyone seems for everyone for the most part seems pretty capable physically. So it, it's going through all that and but then like still using CGI blood just feels like ugh, I don't know why even bother um it, it's just one of those things that I don't want to say it ruins movies for me but like man I, you just can't help but notice it um it just doesn't look right um additionally we didn't sit with the characters long enough this is one of the rare times I'll I will complain about a movie not being long enough and it needs to be longer by like possibly 20 or 30 minutes I think I think the runtime is like just over an hour and a half. I want to say it's like a 97 minute movie. Um, I'll look that up here in a second, but it, this is one that definitely needs to be about two hours long because we need to sit with the characters. We need to, we need to develop the characters. There's like, there's something, there's one in particular. Um, so Quintus, Quintus promises Flavius before they, the general, um, before they, they ended up, they, they're not able to rescue him from the, from the, from the picks and uh, they make an attempt, but um, they, they aren't able to rescue him. They have to turn tail and run. 
Um, then there's a, a death that it turns out to be inconsequential. We'll get to that in a second. But um, um, they can't free him, and the general says, you know, general says to Quintus, "Get my men home," and like that's the promise, right? Like he'll 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 get my. Well, he probably he even says later, "I promise to get you guys home." It just doesn't feel that impactful because at this point in time, he has been with them for like two days, or maybe maybe not even two days at this point, after being rescued. So, and there's just a lot of there's a lot of that kind of stuff where like we're stuff's meant to be emotional. Um, you know, they meet. Uh, they meet Imogen Poots' character, um, Ariane, um, uh, a cast-off witch, or one someone who's accused of witchcraft, witchcraft by the uh, by the Picts, which we can get into that a little bit. That's kind of nonsensical as well. Um, there's even, like, you know, they're in Fassbender, Liam Cunningham, and Dias, Bothos, and Brick are all in her company for, like, a day and a half, two days or something like that. And... At the at the end of the movie, um, uh, Quintus runs you know runs back to be with her, and I thought like I, they only share like two real scenes alone together, and one of them is him pissing into a river in front of her. So it just didn't it just didn't feel like they were hitting those emotional beats. Had we had an extra twenty minutes of this movie to kind of seal the um, the bond between um, uh, Quintus Dias and General Fabius, if we had. Um, time to seal the bond between um, uh, Ariane and Dias. You know, maybe that makes a makes a, bit, a little bit of a difference. But they, we just didn't sit with these characters long enough for them to really develop. Um, there's a, now, having said that, there were some good there were some good matchings. Um, like Bothos and um, and Brick together are great because that's that's because you have two really fun, good character actors in Liam Cunningham and David Morrissey acting together. So it does feel like they've been old pals for a while. Um, but yeah, we needed definitely that that's something that needed that just needed more room to breathe in this case. Um, there is also an awful lot of, as I will call it, and you will totally understand what I'm about ready to call this. There is a lot of Lord of the Rings running. Um, there's now, like I said, this is the 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 cinematography. It's not like it's revolutionary cinematography or anything, but it's really great. It's it shows off the gorgeous Highlands of Scotland, the gorgeous mountains of Scotland. This beautiful, um, this beautiful terrain that's like a dark emerald green, and then obviously uh, on the tops of the mountains, very very white. Um, it looks great, but we are doing a lot of that overhead shot of just the characters running. And I, I just, they're being pursued throughout this movie, so I get it. But it is there's a lot of this in a movie that's Lord of the Rings at least is like three hours long. Um, <laughs> this is half half the time, and I bet. I'm willing to bet there's almost five minutes worth of them just running, and okay, fine, like I get it, but they're I I would I could have sacrificed a few minutes of them running for another fight sequence, for another conversation between someone. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of Lord of the Rings running, characters running through like these gorgeous open fields um, to music. It, it just it's a little bit, it just eats up a little bit too much time. Um, Ulrich Thompson, as I mentioned, um, Ulrich Thompson almost always plays some variety of a villain. It's very odd, though. He just doesn't feel that dangerous in this movie. Um, we get that he's like the leader and like he's he again, he's just Google and look at Ulrich Thompson and you go, oh, yeah, of course, this guy's a bad guy. But he just doesn't feel that dangerous or distinctly different. Um, 
So like two of the two of the of the of the picks, uh, as I mentioned, Attain played by um, Olga Ker- Olga and this other picked uh, Aaron played by I can't remember her name Axel Axel Cordelin or something. I she's not like a she's more of a director. Um, she's been in a few things uh, of Neil Marshall's in particular, but she's not really like a she's not really like an actress you pick out from anything necessarily, but. They have more. They have a much more distinct look. Both of them have a much more distinct look than our tribal leader does. Um, it's. I don't. I don't know how you kind of miss on that. Like not that. Like you have to. Not that he has to be like a comic book villain, but he needs to have some something distinct. Um, he has like kind of like a braided beard, and he's and he's bald. But otherwise, there's nothing really particular. Just or not bald. I guess it's like the hair is just cut really short. But it, it's not very distinct. He needs to have like some kind of like helmet right with like um i don't know like uh you know like deer antlers on it to distinguish that he is like he is the leader of this tribe or some kind of distinct uh face paint or face tattoo or something he just is very kind of nondescript um again it's Ulrich thompson so he does look kind of like a like an evil man um but it's just he just doesn't feel that that dangerous we even in in the scene where they go to rescue um, where they go to rescue the general, um, they uh, are sort of self-serving, betraying um, our, our Judas Roman legionary uh, Thax, uh, played by J.J. Feld, uh, kills um, kills um, Gorlikon's son, kills or- Ulrich Thompson's son, and but we don't, we kind of just don't know. We don't really have anything distinct about him, about him, about uh, Gorlikon or his son to sort of make this death consequential or critical um it doesn't i'll get into that just like a little bit more but there's just because because we kind of have no real because there's no real distinction that ulrich thompson is someone to be feared that death of his kid just doesn't really feel like it's it doesn't really feel like it matters and ulrich thompson pursuing them doesn't really feel like it matters either so they, they just they missed completely on that one and just sort of overall, again, this movie is pretty short, which generally speaking I like, but it just feels like they were either there's either a battle scene or a couple of character scenes that were left out of the final cut. I don't know exactly how to explain this. It just not that it jumps or anything, but it does feel like we're just missing something. Like that there was something that was filmed and for whatever reason it just it wasn't put in or it didn't fit for some reason. I don't know. This, I don't know. The studio maybe interfered. I don't know. It just feels like there's there's something missing here. That like we're that maybe I could ignore everything else if there was like this extra. And I don't necessarily mean this time wise. I just mean like if there's like an extra ten percent of this movie somewhere out there, um, be it ten percent more character, ten percent more battle, ten percent more um, historical information, ten percent something. Um, it just feels like we're missing something. That's all. And I just, I don't know what it is. I didn't, I, a lot of times I don't even bother to read the IMDb trivia because it's like completely inane bullshit. Um, but I wouldn't be, I would not be shocked if I found out that like they're, they were going to do something and they couldn't do it for budgetary reasons. So they had to like um, figure out a way to kind of write around that and shoot around it. I would not be shocked by that at all. All right. So in addition to that, like the stuff that I didn't like, I, I felt like more so this was a movie that, <clears throat> excuse me, more so this was a movie that if um, 
have they just not missed so many opportunities for some stuff that this it could overcome all the stuff that I didn't like. Um, but there was just a lot of missed opportunities. Stuff where they just didn't go far enough. Um, so, like I said, Neil Marshall is is a pretty it's a pretty solid director. He's made a lot of things that I like. Um, you know, he I think we've talked before. Yeah, I mentioned before uh, his like first feature, uh, Dog Soldiers, is a movie that I really th- <clears throat> a movie that I thoroughly enjoy. Horror movie. Um, he made a movie called The Descent, which is very very good. A great horror movie. Um, he's directed on Game of Thrones. He's directed on Black Sails. He's directed on Westworld. He was the executive producer on Lost in Space and directed a few episodes of that, um, of the recent Lost in Space, obviously. Um, so like he's made a bunch of stuff that I like. I just wish that he would have, for this particular movie, not leaned so much into some of the action stuff that he's done. And I wish he would have kind of leaned more into his horror sensibilities. So I, I feel like there was a really good opportunity here to make the picks feel more more like a supernatural enemy or less human in some way, shape, or form. Um, and we get little tiny bits of this. So Etain is, um, she's mute. Uh, she had her tongue cut out uh, by like a Roman legionary years years prior uh, when her village was attacked and she was, and her, uh, her family was uh, raped and killed and she was raped. Um, so she's looking for revenge. But she can't talk, so um, which is probably the better move for most Olga Kurilenko performances. Um, but she can't talk, so she's very much more animalistic, and like the way she's tracking them is very much the way that like an animal would track. Like she's smelling the air, and um, she's it, you know she's seemingly conjuring up things out of nowhere and can follow them as if as though she were like an animal. In fact, the Romans uh, insist that she's half wolf. Um, so there's like a little bit of that there. Um, you know, the way that they, the, in the first attack, the way that the attack seemingly comes out of the darkness, um, like they were, you know, again, like animals move very, very easily and quietly in the dark. Uh, you, when, you know, wild animals, if they don't want you to see them or they don't want you to hear them, you don't. Um, they, they can move through, they can move through the forest, um, move through a lot of places very, very quietly without us even knowing that there, even some large animals can do that without us knowing that they're there. So there's like a, a little bit of that there um, that I, I wish they would have leaned into more. Um, you know, certainly, don't we need to like at least one more big battle in this movie? Um, I know there was, there's there's more fighting and it ends with a, a, a kind of like a three-way um, scrum uh, at, a, at an abandoned Roman fort. But like, I feel like we needed one more big battle that included more than like five or six people. Um, it feels like we needed at least one more attack on, on the Roman Legion. Um, something something bigger, a bigger set piece than like what we got um, other than the one, which is good. I, again, I enjoy it. It just feels like we, we needed one more of those. Um, it also feels like, you know, with our Romans uh, on the run, we definitely missed out on a scene or two of them sort of building their characters while they're not running. There's like a couple different times where they're, um, like there's like a, there's again there's a, the main one is like a scene in the cave where they're talking to each other about you know about each other, but there's some other moments where um, they're you know they're watching one the they the picks took a couple of prisoners and like they're they're from a distance watching them get killed, and it feels like that kind of feels like a scene that like not totally necessary and I I could I could do without that scene if it meant that there was a, a you know a, a mini version of that cave conversation. 
like I could have done with another one of those. So they just missed some opportunities to build character um, and definitely make, I, I, I feel like this should be much closer to a horror movie than like a historical action movie. So again, I, I think, I think in combination with missed opportunities and the stuff that I just didn't like, it definitely keeps this movie at a more of a background noise movie than something that you should definitely go out and see. But uh, let's get into what I would have changed. All right. So the the biggest thing that I would have changed is the very, very, the, the main sort of structure of this movie. I, I wouldn't have bothered with anything outside of the ninth uh, being eradicated and then pursued by the picks. So like we start off, as I said, there's like a, there's, kind of two openings to this movie um about 20 minutes apart and the very opening is uh, quintus's attachment in york being attacked and ultimately that attack kind of means nothing because he gets um you know he gets rescued by the the ninth legion uh i don't know 15 minutes later 10 15 minutes later something like that and it's not like i, I was kind of expecting there to be some kind of like um turn for Quintus where he was actually working for he was actually working for the the Picts as like a spy right like he got they let him get captured on purpose because he was going to help out the Picts in exchange for his life or something like that but ultimately because they just kind of plow forward that opening attack in York kind of means nothing um there's some political stuff where the general um is talking to a senator I can't remember the senator's name where he's supposed to be. Um, so like the Roman politics and Hadrian's campaign and that kind of stuff, who cares? It, 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 it does sort of come back in the end. Um, so like uh, Quintus is like the lone survivor of this. And, um, you know, he's like feted by the, the Senator. He's feted by the Senator and uh, the other Roman soldiers, you know, general that's there. And, um, you know, they kind of agree that the, the, the senator and the general agree that they should. Um, and then this is how in, in this version of the story, this is why the, the Ninth Legion is disappears uh, from Roman record. They agree that because of the, this colossal failure that they will strike the, the Roman Legion, the Ninth Roman Legion from the history books. And oh, by the way, that means we have to kill that we have to kill Quintus and we can't let Michael Fassbender survive. Um, so so but like ultimately I think those, that's kind of pointless. It just doesn't really matter to me whatsoever the reasons why. Um, so I think the you know that saves you some time and saves you some energy. You could focus on something else. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, Gorlikon's son gets killed by uh, by Thax. It, it doesn't really change the ultimate goal. I mean, like there's like a moment where like Gorlikon is pissed, but not like really. And it's not like it changes. It's not like he was going to let them go previously they were going to stop they're always trying to hunt them down and kill them um so like that doesn't really like change the the arithmetic on uh on what the picks are trying out to achieve so it just doesn't really matter necessarily so again instead of making quintus um part of a different detachment entirely i would have made quintus one of Fla- one of flavius's lieutenants you know maybe his second in command and that that right there sort of gives you immediately that like again the way these armies are uh, they would that means they would have known each other for a very long time possibly even um since flavius would have been you know maybe 15 to 20 years older um he it's very possible that he would have even known uh, quintus as like a as like a child the way that these um that these uh, legions work 
Um, so and then so you don't really then you know if you are going to skip over a few a few character building scenes, you already have this kind of information built in that that Flavius and and Quintus have known each other for a long time and they're close because he trusts them as his he trusts them as his um, you know as his number one as his second in command. Um, I also would have already had the ninth deep into pick lands on some kind of mission when everything uh, goes tits up. There's we just kind of waste a lot of time getting there. I shouldn't say we waste a lot of time getting there, but when you if we're not doing the Roman politics and we're not doing an opening attack in York, just go ahead and just start it there. That they're already there, they're on some kind of mission, things don't go well, and then that's when they that's when they get attacked. Um, when the full um, the full force of the picks kind of comes down on them. And because of this, I would have I wouldn't have killed off the entire legion in the first conflict. I would have killed off the bulk of them, but I would have left a big enough force for some kind of second major face off. So instead of five thousand Roman soldiers being killed, let's kill off let's kill off like I don't know forty five hundred of them. So there's about like five hundred soldiers left. You don't need to we don't need to meet all of them or, or follow them, but it gives us enough to then you know after they regroup. They evacuate the area, um, you know, rest, regroup. Then we can have some kind of other attack that, um, you know, some kind of other attack that um, that goes that does not go their way, and then we will ourselves down to, um, you know, to the, the the our main cast, and that's when the chase movie can begin. So I would have done something more along those lines. Um, and as I mentioned before, they they don't really they don't do this enough. But they really should have pushed the notion that the picks that were hunting them were borderline animals or supernatural. I think I would have preferred the supernatural route. Um, that like they are, you know, they're we're, they're they're meant to be like savages and ruthless and and you know whatever else in, in this particular movie. Then make them absolute ruthless savages. Make them something that isn't human. Um, show them using so like we see a couple of different scenes with um, Attain is like picking up dirt and smelling it. She they make mention that like they are they're like across they're like across like a valley from her and she can like they they she notices them from like across this valley. And despite not really being able to see them, um and they kind of make mention like you see like the wind kind of blowing against them. They make mention that like we're downwind of her, she can smell us. Literally she could this this chick can smell us. So lean into that even more. Make maybe make a maybe make her almost like using magic, um, you know, black magic to hunt them down and find out where they are or make her more animalistic. I just think that like the, the picks should have been much more like creatures than, than human beings, um, be they supernatural or just animals or whatever. Um, Neil Marshall has done this before. Dog soldiers are about soldiers fighting werewolves. So you could have, he's, he's got that in his bag already. Um, so I would have made the picks like almost supernatural. You could even, so like the the character that Imogen Poots plays, Ariane, um, she's accused of witchcraft. Um, you know, by the by the picks, she's like outlawed because she's you know again she she knows magic or whatever, which is weird because there's like a similar scene where Attain is like not using magic, but she's like grinding up plants to taste and smell, and it's just it feels like it's almost the same thing as witchcraft. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, I would have changed Imogen Poots' character, Ariane, into a legitimate witch. Make her a fucking witch. Um, she can still help the Romans, but make her character a witch. She's just a cute girl, um, you know that that um, that is gonna help them out a little bit, and then you know be the there. You know her meet cute is with Quintus. Um, you know 
when he's taking a piss essentially uh, and and that's their meet cute basically and then like that's his calling to go back to her and, and spend presumably the rest of his life with her it, which is again it's just we didn't have enough time for that for me to like make that believable but like if if Ariane has been scarred and outcast by the picks for using witchcraft then make her a fucking witch just go for it um in fact like there's you know the romans are supposed to be surrounded by danger make every single person in this movie that isn't them dangerous make Ariane a witch um make the you know the picks make them make them borderline animals or borderline magical creatures what the fuck ever it doesn't matter everything to them should be dangerous um and it just doesn't feel like we get we get one scene where uh Thax and Macros are pursued by uh by wolves and it feels like um in fact that's where uh, Thax kind of betrays Macros he cuts his Achilles and and leaves him for the wolves to take that should have been that that scene like we don't it's not like suggested or hinted to at all that should that scene should have been hinted that like you know the scene before uh we should have seen attain with like a wolf um you know just like you know maybe like um picking up some grass that they stepped in and like you know letting the wolf sniff it and then like give give some kind of magic incantation and bam all the wolves are now chasing facts and macros um they just you know it's just like i said missed opportunities uh, that that there's they just missed a big opportunity to sort of make this into a really kind of interesting action horror movie as well um i think the ending is totally fine i'm not sure i would have had the the you know facts getting killed um at this point um he can die at some other point in time whatever um still would have kept quintus as the lone survivor but i i would have ended the movie with the reason why you know the um you know the ninth has been struck from the or doesn't show up in the records anymore is that like quintus tells this tale of them yeah we were we were um helped by a witch um who you know cast some spells these people are literal you know the the woman who is chasing us is a literal she-wolf like she can turn into an animal and track us blah 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 like make the tale as crazy as possible so so the general and the senator if you want to still include them they just kind of look at each other and go like this guy's fucking insane um we got to ship him back to rome and like there's no way any of this happened let's just not talk about this let's not talk let's not talk about this again um as opposed to um quintus escaping and and going to live with uh arianne which i don't blame him i would also abscond uh, my military service to go uh hang out with imogen poots in a in a in a little hut in the woods for the rest of my life too i agree i get it but I just think, um, yeah, I, I think that there's, I, I know that uh, previously, like, Chem and I have talked about, like, there's a, where, you know, the, a movie's with the better movie inside, and I'm not saying, like, that my idea is, like, the, the best route to go necessarily, or any of my ideas are. I do think that this is one of those movies that has a better movie inside of it, with some, in a, in a couple of cases, some major changes, but more, but really just some some minor story changes and, and some details I think could have pushed this movie up a little bit higher on the list for me. Um, so this was, like I said, I think this is background noise kind of movie. If you are, if you are a, a completist in terms of um, really, you're, you're real interested in Roman history and, and this particular story of the ninth Legion, then yeah, check this out for sure. If you don't have any interest in, in the ninth Roman Legion, I'm not sure that there would be any reason for you to watch this movie. It doesn't break any new ground. Um, it's very, um, 
you know, it's a very stock sort of swords and sandals kind of movie of the time. So nothing really special, but um, certainly didn't feel like I wasted my time on it. So I, I would not make this a, a recommendation, but um, I will give you a couple movies that uh, for certain I, I would recommend. So let's start out. We don't need to get too far into it because I spent a lot of time on the last episode talking about it. Go ahead and watch Gladiator. Um, you know, you get, uh, if you want a Roman fix uh, in a movie, go ahead and watch Gladiator. It's fantastic. Um, how about for the, the same kind of feel? Uh, I'm going to go with, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to, um, I'm going to go to a John Woo movie from 2008 called Red Cliff. Um, it's actually, I have yet to see this movie and this is one of those I'm always like, yeah, I got to check out this Red Cliff. I think there's actually like, two or three possibly three of them um but the first one directed by john woo um so you know there's going to be some excellent action stuff it's very very um it, it is i can't remember what century i want to say it's like third or fourth century china and very much along the same lines of um of something like gladiator of something like centurion where we're following like sort of the you know this imperial imperial china i can't remember the name of the dynasty that this covers but we're, we're following this like imperial Chinese dynasty and like these military detachments. But it's got like this something that I always love from these Chinese movies um, where the where the warriors are very um, they're almost like mythical beings. Right. Like so while we are going to do while there is plenty of, um, you know, swords and shields kind of battle, um, you know, more, you know, more classic ancient type of battle, the main combatants are also sort of like half magical where like they are in they're so individually powered that they can you know take a, take the spears spears right out of the hands of guys running at them like one man can take down like 10 10 well-trained soldiers um you know in formation like that kind of stuff um so red cliff a movie i have to check out and i think you should check out as well and sort of in that same vein how about crouching tiger hidden dragon people who are you know warriors who are mythical and magical and, and do incredible stuff um, the movie that puts uh, I, I, the movie that puts Angley on the map in in, in the West, um, the movie that um, showcases all of the for a lot of time, for a lot of people who are not familiar with um, Asian cinema at this point, really showcases the incredible physical work, the incredible work that they've been doing for decades, um, and obviously Chow Yun Fat, Michelle Yeoh, fantastic fucking movie, can't recommend it enough. Um, so Crashing Tiger, Hidden Dragon, right, right there on the same sort of, um, it's the elevate, I guess the elevated version of Red Cliff. Um, but, um, you know, the, the goals of the movies are very different, but, um, Crashing Tiger, Hidden Dragon, an all time classic that everyone should check out. All right. How about, um, The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise, Ken Watanabe, uh, Hiroki Sonata, uh, I believe Tony Goldwyn's also in that movie. I know I'm missing a couple other people. Um, Last Samurai, another great, uh, another great movie highlighting the, um, you know, the samurai culture and the way it was butting up against uh, Imperial Japan and Japan's uh, attempts to modernize post, um, post our civil war. I believe this movie is like in the 1880s or 1890s. Um, and it's, uh, you know, there's like a new emperor and he's called for like the end of the samurai culture and how that, that clash is, um, you know, setting up for some epic, Epic sword play and epic sword battles, um, also combined with some uh, some modern weaponry as well. So it's a really really fun movie. Um, you know, it's looks great. Um, looks great. It also gives you that sort of a very interesting um, one of the few times where that sort of um, 
where we have like the clash of not clash, but the combination of cultures really coming together in this movie that elevates everything. It's it's a really great movie. I one I've always enjoyed, uh, The Last Samurai. And then finally, um, I guess I'm going to recommend to you and to myself to go watch the movie that I thought I was going to watch, The Eagle. Um, this I really I truly think that I will enjoy this movie since it's a little bit closer to the to the book and does lead into a little bit more into history than this movie. I have a feeling I'll like The Eagle a little bit more, um, and maybe you will too. Uh, let's let's check that. Either way, I'm going to check that movie out as soon as I can. Um, but for our next review, I'm covering what I would assume I'm thinking is the earliest movie that we have watched in any capacity for this podcast. Uh, so my next review, my next war film review is... Things to Come from 1936, written by H.G. Wells and directed by William Cameron Menzies. Uh, 1936 war movie. Um, I guess it's really more of a, um, a, a post-war reconstruction movie. And a, um, it involves like a speculative sci-fi future of, of the 1930s. So it should be a very interesting one. Um, I couldn't... I, I I just I, I don't know what I I'm kind of bypassing that in in favor of some other or taking this in favor of some other stuff that I thought about. Um, I just have I have a feeling this is going to be a very rewarding watch. So next week will be or excuse me next week tomorrow will be um, things to come from 1936. All right, that's it for now. Uh, I will see you tomorrow, and uh, thanks for downloading, and listening, and we will see you next time.